Well, it's good to be back. <laughs> Missed all of you guys so much. Some of you new faces don't know me at all, and that's okay. But so good to be back here. Sadly, I couldn't bring my beautiful wife, Lauren, so I settled for the next best thing. I brought my beautiful little brother, Nikki. <laughs> Why don't you stand up? He's single, ladies, so <laughs> come say hi at lunch. Um, but you know, it's funny. I don't, I'm sure other alumni would agree with me, but that first little bit of leaving Emmaus, those first few months of not being in Dubuque anymore, you spend a lot of time thinking about what the Lord did in your life. And during my time here, I got to experience some of the most amazing th times of my life with some of the most amazing people I've ever met. But I also look back and think about how much I missed out on. And my greatest fear in this moment right now is the thought that there's even just one person, one person in this room who's missing out on the indescribably deep delight that is found in intimately knowing Jesus and finding joy in him. And you know, this message only really works if I'm brutally honest and open with all of you about my struggles when I was here at Emmaus. My struggle to simply enjoy Christ while I was here. Don't get me wrong, there were plenty of times where I was really enjoying Jesus. And those were very special times. But at the same time, I have to admit that there were plenty of times where I don't believe my joy was truly in the Lord. And maybe somebody in this room is feeling that way right now. And as it pertained to joy, I always found myself in one of three phases. And I believe that each person in this room right now is in one of those three phases when it comes to their journey towards joy in Christ. And I wanna walk with you today, this morning, for just a little bit of time through the life of Peter and through my experience and through Peter's journey towards that deep enjoyment of Christ. So that first phase or that first part of that journey that you might be on and that I was on was someone who is doing all that they can to try to earn that joy. You're doing everything, you're being obedient. You're trying to act in every way that you can so that you can earn joy, earn that joy in the Lord. But it's empty, it feels empty and I've been there and Peter was there too. Maybe you're someone who is abandoning their joy in the Lord for the fleeting pleasures of sin that are found in this world and trust me, I've been there, and Peter was also there. Or maybe you are someone who is enjoying Christ right now, and if you are that person, praise God and stick with it. There's nothing greater. And I wanna give you an encouragement at the end of this message of a way, an opportunity to see that joy increase. So first, we're gonna begin with the person. This is the message to the one who is vainly trying to earn their joy, yet you feel empty. So let's look to the life of Peter. If you could turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. We'll get to John 21 in a second, but we're gonna start in Matthew 17. The reason that I wanna talk about Peter is because Peter was a man that had the privilege of physically walking hand in hand with the Son of God on this earth. And don't get me wrong, Peter was a great man, but often he missed out on the, per the opportunity he had to simply enjoy Jesus when he walked with him. And I believe that some of, this, some of us this morning are not truly enjoying him as we walk with him. See, Peter was somebody who was so passionate to serve Christ. 
He was willing to do, 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 do all the time. He was always willing to serve. He's always willing to step up, always willing to lead. He had every opportunity to simply enjoy Christ and walk with him, but his own insecurities to actually do something, to add to every situation, to earn his joy, kept him from simply enjoying Jesus, enjoying the Savior who was before him. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 17. I think this will give a good idea of Peter's insecurity, his need to try to earn this joy. Matthew chapter 17, verse one. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for the opportunity you've given me to share what you've been teaching me in my own life. God, what an amazing privilege it is that you have earned, given us the opportunity and you have earned for us joy, that you have done everything already and we have to do nothing yet simply enjoy Christ. Lord, help us to find our joy in him. Lord, help us not to feel the need to earn anything, to earn what has already been given to us. And Lord, as we jump into your word, I pray that you would help us to pay attention, help us to listen, keep us from sleepy eyes, open our ears, soften our hearts, and give us your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. So here, we just read the transfiguration. This is one of the greatest moments in all of human history. Jesus brings with him Peter, James, and John. We call them the big three, right? Those are, that's his inner circle. And they go to the top of a high mountain. They were given the blessing of seeing one of the most magnificent scenes that we could ever imagine. After walking thousands of feet up this mountain, they reach the top and they see three men standing there. They see their teacher, Jesus, and they see Moses, and they see Elijah, Two of the greatest figures in all of Israel, right? Moses and Elijah. So as a Jew, this would, have been, this would have been an immense privilege for them to be with Moses and Elijah. So here, on one side, you have Moses, arguably the greatest leader in all of human history. Imagine what he did. Think about what he did. He led two million rebellious, faithless people out of enslavement from the greatest empire in the world at the time. He then guided this whole nation for 40 years in the wilderness he was the one who climbed Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments. He's recognized in Hebrews chapter 11 for his faith in what we call the Hall of Faith. His face had to be covered because he was given the blessing of beholding the glory of God, an honor that not many can claim to have received. He even had to cover his face later because his face was shining. Jewish scriptures we often refer to as Moses and the prophets. Even the Old Testament law we call the law of Moses. So Moses, a great figure in Israel. And then you have standing next to him, 
Elijah. He was considered by many to be the great prophet. He defended the law with his life in the face of imminent threats. He performed unimaginable miracles like calling down fire from heaven. He caused rain to cease for three and a half years. He brought the dead back to life. One commentator calls him zeal personified, a godly man of unmatched courage, boldness, and fearlessness. The disciples would have been amazed to be standing before Moses and Elijah, these ancient figures. Perhaps they would have seen it as an honor not only for them to be before Moses and Elijah, but even for Jesus to be with Moses and Elijah, their teacher. What an honor for even him, they may have thought. But what they did not recognize is that both of these men, though great men of the faith, could never compare to the majesty of the Messiah who was before them. All the great things that they'd done in their lives were only possible because they were given the power to do so by the Son of God who was in their midst on top, on, in their midst at the top of this mountain. And everything they ever did, big or small, that is recorded in the Old Testament, was merely pointing to him, pointing to him, the coming Messiah. This is why Jesus was the one who was transfigured or transformed at the top of this mountain, not Moses, not Elijah. The passage says that his face shone like the sun, glowing like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Some accounts even say that his clothes became whiter than anybody could ever wash. And Jesus was transformed to show them a small piece of his overwhelming glory. They had this amazing blessing of experiencing his glory. The disciples, especially Peter, still failed though to do something. They failed to recognize who this man was that they had been walking with all this time. Who was he really? And this is when we get to see Peter's ignorance. Let's look at Peter's response. Let's go back to verse two. He was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light and behold appeared to them, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah. Then to verse four, Peter has this grand idea Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What's Peter doing? What's he doing in this moment? We see his ignorance. Rather than simply enjoying this amazing moment, enjoying Christ, enjoying the Son of God, enjoying this piece of his glory, he feels like he has to earn it. He feels like he's not worthy to be there on top of the mountain with Jesus. He feels like he has to do something. So what's his great idea? Build an altar, build a tent. But what is so foolish, and God the Father obviously realizes how foolish it is, is the fact that he doesn't just want to build an altar and worship to Christ, but he wants to build one for Moses and Elijah as well. Like, Peter, do you know who is before you? the Messiah, the Son of God, the one that you've been waiting for for generations, and you want to build an altar for Moses and Elijah. Why? Why would you ever want to build one for Moses and Elijah? Christ. Christ is the only one worthy of such adoration, Peter. You almost want to smack him, right? You want to smack him and shake him and help him to realize what he's missing. And obviously, we can kind of judge him because we weren't there and we have the full canon and we understand. So I want to be careful with that. But still, come on, Peter. 
But how often are we like this when it comes to our journey to finding joy in the Lord? We feel like we have to earn it. We have to do something. We have to build a tent in order to experience that moment because we aren't worthy. And then we see God interrupting in verse 5. And we know God interrupted Peter in the middle of him talking because it literally says, verse 5, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, wow, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's the command. Listen to him. Jesus was to be central in this moment. Moses and Elijah were there to show that all of their ministry on the earth was simply pointing to him. That's why they were there. And God's message to Peter was simple. The simple message that he needed to hear. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Three words, listen to him. You want to find the joy you want to experience the joy that is found in Jesus? Listen to him, Peter. Brothers and sisters, listen to him. Listen to him in his word while you're here at Emmaus, in the classroom, in your dorm room, in chapel. Listen to Jesus. Listen to him and enjoy him. And coming from someone who too often missed out on this opportunity, and I'm very willing to admit that, I look back and Oh, the time wasted. <laughs> it's hard coming back here, honestly, because what an amazing place to just be free. Be free in studying God's word with other people who are here to study God's word. And so often I missed out on the opportunity to simply enjoy the one that I was reading about the whole time. And maybe that's one of you this morning. So then we see later in this passage in verse 6, when the disciples heard this, what did they do? They fall on their faces and are terrified. They fall on their faces and are terrified because they knew that there was a separation between them and God. They weren't worthy of this moment. They weren't worthy of being able to stand before him. They were separated because of their sin. They couldn't be in the presence of God. So they fall on their faces and they are terrified. He has to separate himself from evil. God is perfect. He is holy. They know that. So they fall on their faces. But then what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do? This is a picture of the gospel. If you don't see it, this is a picture of the good news. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. Rise and have no fear. You don't have to be afraid anymore. We were there, he's telling them that soon you are going to get to experience an intimacy with God the Father through me that you could never imagine. The same intimacy that we now experience in this room is what he was pointing to by touching them, reaching down and touching them. Not just saying, get up, you fools. Reaching down, touching them, telling them, rise, have no fear. And now we can be brought near to God, adopted as sons and daughters. We can boldly approach the throne the throne of grace, hand in hand with our Savior. And then after he said this in verse eight, when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Not Moses, not Elijah, but Jesus. Only Jesus. Peter, simply enjoy him and listen to him. 
Luca, simply enjoy him and listen to him. Brothers and sisters here, before it's too late and you have to leave like I had to, simply enjoy Jesus and listen to him. Even though you may feel unworthy, although you may feel the need to earn this joy, trust me, you don't have to. Listen to him so that you can be reminded that you are his and you are sealed for eternity. The great foundation of your joy should not be on what, should be on what he has already done, not on your own performance like Peter thought. He has already done it. You cannot earn something that has already been given to you. And because of his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, you have been adopted as sons and daughters of God. That is your joy. Bask in it. Bask in it together. Delight in it. Delight in him. Listen to him. Enjoy him. Now, if we could turn to John chapter 21, I want to talk to maybe another phase that someone in this room might be in because I've been in this phase as well of my journey towards discovering joy in Christ. This is the one who has been abandoning this joy in the Lord for the pleasures of this world. And I'm afraid that that maybe many people in this room. I had a lot of friends at Emmaus that I was super close with, and I know that we experienced some of these same things together. And I would be foolish to think that nobody has been abandoning their joy for the fleeting pleasures of this world right now. So if that's you, then now is your time to listen. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but I was trying to read through a few books to find some good points um, as I was working through this sermon. It's always good to find other ideas from other people. And I picked up The Weight of Glory by C.S. Lewis. I don't know if anybody's ever read it before. I haven't actually read it. I actually opened the first page and there was, I must have bought it from the Emmaus book sale because there was a highlighted paragraph. It was the first paragraph. So whoever highlighted that, thank you. You might be in this room. And I just read that, closed it, and shut it because I got everything I needed from that book. This is what C.S. Lewis says. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. How many of us are far too easily pleased? Do you yearn for joy? You don't have to feel bad about that. You should yearn for joy in the Lord. Don't settle for this world. These are mud pies, playing with mud pies in the slum compared to a holiday at the sea. And sometimes the only reason that we're playing with these mud pies is because we don't understand what a holiday at the sea is. What I mean by that is maybe we don't understand what Christ has really done for us, what we actually can have in him, the joy, the delight, the peace, the freedom that we can have in him. Maybe we just don't fully understand that, so we settle for the world. Don't abandon this joy for the world. So my question to you is, and this is a silly question, but maybe you can write it down. What is your mud pie? What is your mud pie? And this is where we have to get real honest with ourselves and I have to be real honest with you. And I'm not afraid to be honest with you because I'm not that far away from where you are right now. I'm just a couple years removed from those chairs. So I'm not afraid to be honest. So what is your mud pie? For many of you, it's pornography. I'm not afraid to say that. 
I'm also not afraid to admit my own struggle with that, even with my time here at Emmaus. I'm not afraid. I don't care what you guys think about me. As long as you see Christ is greater, as long as you see the joy in him is greater than that fleeting pleasure, that temporary pleasure, I'm not afraid to say it. If you struggle with it, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. For many of you, maybe, it's habitual sin with someone who is not your spouse. I was an RA. I had a lot of conversations with people. I know that this happens. Boyfriend, girlfriend, too much is going on. Maybe that's the thing that you're abandoning your joy in the Lord for right now. For some of you, it's addiction. And that doesn't just mean drugs. Maybe it is. Doesn't just mean alcohol. Maybe it is. But for me, I notice it a lot of video games. Maybe it's addiction to video games. You're getting lost in a different world. I did it when I was at Emmaus. You're getting lost in a different world so that you don't have to experience what's going on in the everyday right now. For some of you, maybe it's your ambition. I know there's a lot of ambitious people in this room if it's with sports or with academics. Maybe that's what you're trying to find your pleasure in. But you're abandoning the amazing joy that's found in Christ. For Peter, it was his old life until he finally understood who Jesus was. And I pray that each of you in this boat will know Christ, truly know what he's done. All right, let's read. We gotta, we gotta move. John chapter 21, starting in verse one. And remember what's happened at this point in Peter's life. So Jesus went to the cross, right? And before that, he was arrested. And Peter did what? He betrayed Jesus three times. So if Peter's story ends there, he's Peter the coward, Right? That's what we would call him if his story ends there, but his story doesn't end. He is redeemed. Verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Jumping down to verse 3. And Peter said to them, I am going fishing. I am going fishing. To me, and I might be wrong, I'm wrong often, but to me it seems like maybe Peter should not have been fishing. Maybe he should have been doing something else. And I don't know what that something else is. Maybe it's preaching. Maybe it's going and telling people, I've seen the resurrected Jesus. But it seems to me like he's going back a little bit to his old life. And then he also brings the other disciples with him. They say, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. It is the Lord. Imagine what's going on in Peter's head. The Lord, the last two times I saw him, he, he didn't call me out about my betrayal. What if this is the time? All that insecurity, that fear. What if he completely casts me out from salvation? What if he casts me out of his presence? What if he says, you know, you're not worthy of being my disciple anymore. What's he gonna say to me because of what I've done? And then he jumps into the water and he starts swimming. I can just imagine every stroke, swimming, swimming, swimming. What's he gonna say? What's he gonna say? What's Jesus gonna say to me? Verse nine, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. And then let's jump down to verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, 
son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? There's a lot of debate to what that these is. For me, I think it's the fish. Like I said, I could be wrong. Um, But it seems as if, do you love me more than these fish? Because you're going back to fishing. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And that's the one that gets him right in the heart. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then he goes on to tell him of the death that he will soon die in order to glorify God. And after this saying, he said to him two words, two words, follow me. Follow me. Christ's messages to Peter are simple yet powerful. Simple yet powerful. Just like the joy that we can experience in the Lord. Simple yet powerful. He ends his discussion with Peter by calling him to simply follow. Don't build altars. Don't be drowned by your insecurities, but simply follow me, Peter. Follow me because you love me. Do you love Jesus this morning? Do you truly love him? If you do, then you must follow him. You must listen to him. You must jump out of the boat of sin and realize the incomprehensible joy that is found in Christ. He seeks to redeem us in the same way that he has redeemed Peter. Don't let your own insecurities keep you from allowing him to redeem your life. Rather, sit at his feet, listen to him, follow him, and you will experience this joy. And what's amazing is when we're living lives of sin and we're seeking the temporary pleasures of sin and of the world, we look back and we have guilt, right? We struggle with sin, we look back at what we did and we have guilt. But what's amazing about what you guys are studying in Galatians 5 is that after the fruits of the Spirit are listed, it says, against such things there is no law. I can look back at what, if I'm experiencing joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, I can look back and not feel guilt, but feel freedom, feel joy in knowing that me experiencing those things is Christ-like and also pleasing to my God. And then, real quick, Acts chapter 2, we see the redemption of the man Peter. The redemption of the man Peter, right? Peter the coward. No. Peter receives the Holy Spirit and does what? Verse 14 of chapter 2. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. The same one who denied Jesus three times lifts up his voice before thousands and addresses them and tells the mighty work of God. So to the person in here who is enjoying Christ, praise God. And if you want your joy to increase, then tell others who don't know him of the mighty works of what he's done. And I wish I had more time to talk about this. You guys know I would love to talk about this, but we're talking about half of the world that has never been reached by this gospel message. Never. So if you want your joy to increase, be a part of what God's doing in the world.